On this week's Inside Marketing, we'll be talking about the world of experiential. We'll be looking at how companies adapted during the pandemic, and we'll ask if there's a way to build back better in a post-pandemic world. I'll be joined by Aidan O'Neill and Barry Muldowney from Verve to talk all things experiential, only on this week's Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to this week's Inside Marketing. I'm delighted today to be joined by Aideen O'Neill, who's Head of Activations at Verve. Welcome, Aideen. Hello, thank you for having me. No problem, thanks for joining me. And Barry Muldooney, who's Head of Events at Verve. Hiya. Hiya, thanks for having me too. No problem. Okay, we will crack on. Uh, Aideen, you wrote an article, it's in the Irish Times today, and it's a great piece, so I'd urge anyone listening to check it out. It's all about the, the power of experiential. Um, so before we get into kind of topic and things you wrote about in the, in the article, I want to just talk a little bit generally about things. So um, COVID obviously had a big effect on, on every industry, but I think, you know, when we think about experiences and people getting together, that effectively stopped and that must have been quite crippling to your business so um how big just to, so i get a sense of it, how big is the industry and when we think about experiential events how big is that and what effect did COVID have on budgets did it kind of did it kill it did it stop it completely or or what was the impact look i suppose experiential is um an industry that has been increasingly growing over the last number of years um where we're at at the moment is that kind of experiential is really a core element of the marketing mix. And whereas before we kind of would have been seen as a as a nice to have or an add-on um, a few years ago, it's definitely come into its own and a really kind of um, sits kind of proudly around the table when um, marketing teams are planning campaigns and, and looking at the various ways to engage their markets. Um, like I would go so far as to say that like when brands are planning campaigns, experiential and events, um, like brands kind of agree that about 84% of brands agree that experiential is really core to what they're doing. And I suppose that does come down to the type of brand. So when you're looking at the likes of FMCGs, if you're looking at a brand that has a new product or they're looking to deliver like a key educational message around a product there really is no better way to do that than with experiential because obviously that allows you you know the the opportunity to touch taste feel get that whole kind of immersive experience so mm-hmm. it's, it's a large part of of a, of a marketing campaign um, and by a significant margin like we've done extensive research over the last number of years on experiential because like that, it can kind of be the area that's hard to get um, really accurate results on. So we yeah. have done yeah. a lot of research around that. And and by a huge margin, um, people would say that the thing that best, best helps them understand a product or a key message from a brand is either a brand website or an event and an experience. So when you look at things like that, you kind of know um, that experiential really has kind of stepped up to the mark. Um, obviously, um, in relation to COVID, everything I've just said there about touch, taste, smell was against all government guidelines. So um, we couldn't, you know, get people together. We couldn't, you know, be handing out products. We we couldn't have people gathering. So like experiential, yeah, it took a huge hit and essentially, yeah, work just completely fell off the books and, and dried up and disappeared. And I suppose that was the time then that we really have to get um, inventive and, and innovate and look at how do we kind of pivot that work into different areas and, and how could we 
still deliver those key brand mas- messages, but without doing so in a way that was uh, going against mm. government guidelines. Um, just you mentioned there some research. One of the things that that we that gets you know I I'm working in agency and it's kind of this thing about the lure of of short term advertising and things that we can measure response on, and we can't really measure the impact of kind of bigger you know brand building things. Have you got research? You mentioned research there. Have you done much re- research in terms of the impact that experiential has on kind of harder metrics like sales or you know the impact it has on on brand affinity scores or things like that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that would be a huge part of, of what we did um, with research that we carried out. So we do that with specific campaigns that we're working on. Um, so we would have a independent research agency um, come to some of the experiential events that we are carrying out. And there's kind of, there's a few different ways you can do it. We usually kind of take this three-pronged approach where um, there'll be some researchers um, at the event. They will do some um kind of short interviews with people who've gone through the experience. What did you think, you know, uh, has it made you think differently about the product? You know, would you go on to buy it? Different things like that. And then they'll do follow-up interviews for an eight weeks post the experience and look at the behavioral changes, look at have they gone on to purchase? Have they gone on to tell their friends? You know, what do they think of the overall experience? So um, from that, we've gathered, you know, um, amazing results and stats so you, things like I can throw out a million different stats to you, but I suppose some of the key ones that we looked at is obviously sales. So 85% of people who go through an experience are more likely to purchase a product post that experience. So that's obviously a huge impact on sales. Um, 90% of people feel um, more positively towards brand when they've gone through um, a really great experiential event. 65% of brands that use experiential marketing say that it positively correlates with sales. Um, and that comes from um, the Event Marketing Institute. So there's lots of stats mm. um, that, that kind of back up experiential now. And I suppose you have to be prepared to invest in that as well, you know, because because we can't, look um you know that's our only way of 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 getting these results is when we invest in those independent kind of style of of researching and and gathering that information yeah that's great because it's good to to know that there's some some research that you have to 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 measure the impact and barry like when we think about experiences we we automatically go to kind of our experiential we automatically go to kind of groups of people getting together physical experiences or physical spaces as it were but uh, I guess I know the answer to this but tell me anyway did you see a shift in focus from brands or the, or the, the requests that were coming into you um as you know for experiential to to kind of lean into virtual things um, and to what extent when you saw the, the restrictions coming in around uh, the ability for people to get together did, did you start to say look this is actually this is going to be a pretty long term thing we need to rethink about things uh, yeah it's a good question uh, for us uh, March 2020, 2020 we kind of saw the writing on the wall and things started to fall away and we we ourselves knew this was going to be at the time a sort of a medium term thing we had kind of written off the rest of the year where some people were living in the we'll be back to normal by summer we were already sort of planning the worst case scenario which was only to the end of the year so all of our work physical work dropped off the books like Mm -hmm. a lot of industries and uh, it took it took a few months while at the same time we immediately went into right how do we uh, how do we redesign our offering to our clients it took brands and companies uh, certainly till 
the summertime to start thinking, right, this isn't going away. And how do we how do we get back talking to our clients and our customers and the consumers? And by say June, there was a few early starters that uh, put their dipped their toe in the water and started to do it. And by I'd say there was we had a, a good few things happening by August and then into September, which is historically a very busy month for us because everyone's back from holidays, kids are back, brands start thinking they need to do stuff. By September, it started to really take off and people go, right, we're actually not coming out of lockdown, can't meet up, so we need to plan. And it's just, ever since then, it's been a never-ending increase in the demand for virtual events. Um, As the early starters adopted it, some of the other brands late to the table started to pick it up as, Mm. as the last year and a half has progressed. So, and what type of things were you doing? So, because um, I guess, yeah, and we'll get into some of the things later on, but like, can you give me a couple of examples, obviously, you know, stuff that you've done that are in the public domain about type of things that work that you did during the pandemic or work that, that you did for brands that you kind of hadn't done before. So, you know, they say, you know, crisis brings opportunity. So what type of things did you work on or how did brands reimagine experiential for a digital world? Yeah, so um, we had a couple of, we had a couple of projects that would be kind of annual ones um, that needed to happen in a virtual setting. And a couple of standout ones I, I can I can think of now is um, we work at AIB a lot and there was a, a project we regularly work on, an AIB Live in Dublin event, which was all around mortgages and getting people to sign. Well, there was a panel discussion. This is pre-pandemic, a panel discussion with architects and um, solicitors and giving people all the guidance they need to know about what do they need to do to buy a house. And obviously, uh, the idea was hopefully they would um, get a mortgage from AIB. So we redesigned the whole offering and brought it to a virtual setting where we had our panel in a studio. We had the platform to host it. We had all the registration fields to capture uh, all the attendee information. And we had like a tenfold increase in the people able to attend this and uh, drive even higher mortgage applications for AIB. So in terms of a, a standout event for that one, that that opened it up to a much wider audience. And obviously we're missing the the engagement in person, but in terms of the results, it was a successful one. Mm-hmm. And another one I can think of, a standout one where the post-event sort of review of it was, it worked really well, was you know, we obviously worked for Diageo, uh, a huge amount, and uh, they're one of our best clients. And we work in the Six Nations, and obviously uh, Guinness had just taken over the uh, sponsorship of the Six Nations. And we needed to do the, the launch of the Six Nations in January, uh, 2020 and we've, we've done it previously but we needed to do we needed to launch the Six Nations and everything that is around that is all the teams all the coaches all the captains normally in a venue and all the press come to London and we and there's press interviews and all that goes around it we had to transition that to a virtual event where we had um, production teams in the uh, in, in all the home nations in Italy, in Wales, in, in, in Scotland, Ireland and uh, England and France. And we had uh, an online platform, very complex one set up where we had uh, translations. We had um, all the press logging on to attend and interview Johnny Sexton, all the captains, interview the coaches in a really organised way. And after that, we noticed that uh, and the Six Nations realised that the a lot of the press who historically would never attend the event because it was too expensive because there might have been a local regional paper. They can't afford to send the reporters to London for a couple of days and, and do all that. They were actually able to get involved and get coverage. And so the coverage was much wider. So so that was another success. Uh, and there will be a hybrid element to that next year. 
Yeah, it makes total sense. So when you talk about there a virtual event, so it's not, I mean, am I right in saying it's not, it's not quite as simple as saying we're going to have a Teams call? Like what's the technology involved? Is the technology, do you, do you, have you invested a lot in the, in the virtual experience or how do you do it? Because at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm, we're sitting at home, like we're doing it now. I used to have the, the podcast in person and we're all sitting in different offices now, but it's not quite as simple as just in a, a Teams call or, or is it? Have you invested in technology or what? We have, yeah, we've, we've invested in uh, technology and software and and even our uh, training for our staff attorney in terms of coding, um, but then also in terms of uh, physical production and studio. So like you say, when we're pitching or selling into a client uh, that maybe hasn't done virtual events before or, or, or don't know enough about them, we obviously need to sell more than a Teams call or a Zoom call. So um, the events industry has pretty much now transitioned into um broadcasting and uh, what we're producing is tv show quality productions so we're using physical studios and whether they're using led whether they're physical bills sets everything there's green screen studios and that the likes of bbc would use for their sports productions and olympics productions. so the the industry while it took a massive shock last year is is going to come out of this stronger because Mm. much more skill sets uh, and we're veering into the broadcast world. Yeah, and, and you're right. Like it makes sense. I think there is an opportunity to to come out of it um, in a hybrid model and to to be better than it was before you went into it. Um, and I can, Adrian, I can only imagine it's only going to become more important now. And, and even in your article, you kind of talk about one of the the issues at the moment is that the level of um, computing power that that's required to do really slick virtual events or the bandwidth required, should we say? So. It's it's slightly limiting at the moment, but do you see that changing uh, in terms of technology going forward or how it is changing? How quickly is it changing? And do you think, like, if you're a brand listening to this now, uh, I maybe haven't done any experiential, maybe you kind of said, oh, wait till people get back. Is now the time to get in and to test and learn and to start to, you know, because the first time you do things, you're going to you're gonna mess things up. But is now the time to start thinking about these things? Because I can only see this being a blended or kind of, you know, best of both worlds as we go forward. What's your view on that? No, like totally agree with you. Um, so it's not that virtual events in themselves are are hugely restrictive. Like it's it's the opposite in terms of, as Barry kind of mentioned, um, the reach that you can now get with a virtual event because obviously that can be spread countrywide, worldwide. You know, we've done global events. Um, so the, the reach of a virtual event is far outweighs, you know, a, an in-person event. I suppose where it gets a little bit trickier is that because we've been doing virtual events now for 18, 20 months, um, there, you know, the level of interaction and engagement and the different levels of tech that you can bring into them is increasing all of the time. And sometimes that's where it can get a little bit restrictive in terms of if you're looking at the likes of AOR and VOR and people require headsets or they want to be able to, um, I suppose, really get audience interaction and engagement and get them involved and creating their own world online via a virtual mm-hmm. event. So that's where it becomes a little bit restrictive. and But that's also where it's really, really exciting. So I would definitely encourage brands, if it's something that they're thinking about doing, now is the time because I think now allows brands to make those maybe, you know, those few mistakes and they, you know, they will get away with it because it's an area that we're all, um, you know, getting, getting to grips with. So I would say to brands, don't hold back and 
now is the time to actually push boundaries and use the insights that we've gathered over the last number of months to do something new and be really innovative. And then I suppose in terms of when it comes to experiential, you know, obviously I don't think anything beats the real thing and when you can get people together. However, I absolutely do see that kind of virtual and experiential piece living side by side and Absolutely. When we go back to full blown experiential, which, you know, isn't too far away and there will absolutely be all these kind of tech elements that we've learned that we will be bringing to that. So to be honest, it's while it was a scary time, it's actually been a really brilliant time in terms of innovating and and learning and being able to expand skill sets, as Barry said, and also being able to push brands to really get innovative and kind of step outside their their comfort zone. Mm. And in your article, you point out that 86% of people want to see significant changes post-COVID. So this idea that we talked about, you know, build back better, you know, let's not go back to the old way of doing things. We, you know, we, we learn from, we, we don't want to stay doing everything the way we've done it in COVID, but let's, let's take, let's keep the things that were positive about the last 20, 18, 20 months and build back better. And the way you put it in the article is is um, kind of purposeful recovery. So um, can you talk to me a little bit about this and then moving on when you think about what, what you mean by purposeful recovery and what consumers want, um, what type of things do they want to see change in, in a post-COVID world? So I think this is a huge area for brands and um, it's definitely something and it, 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 it comes down to a generational thing like millennials, Gen Z, they want to see brands who kind of come out of this situation and really show that they understand what people have been through. They stand up for kind of relevant topics and societal issues that they know that their consumers are facing. And it's more than just coming out with statements and promises. They really want to see action. Um, so this idea of a kind of brand's partnering with um you know and building really key relationships that are relevant to their brand so it's no point in coming out and kind of making a statement on something that doesn't feel authentic it doesn't feel like it fits with the brand it has to really i suppose be in their core values and and you know, millennials and Gen Z, they want to see that demonstrated and they want to see action. And and I suppose the, the scary thing is that they're not afraid to walk away from brands who don't deliver on those promises. So again, from various research that we've done, um, 47% of consumers are happy to walk away from a brand who doesn't deliver on a promise or doesn't stand up for these kind of societal issues that are really important to them. So um, coming out with a, this kind of purposeful recovery, understanding what people have gone through and working with them and showcasing that in a really tangible way is going to be really key for brands who have kind of maybe stayed quiet for the last 18 months. Um, so kind of just showing that they understand the sentiment. And I, and I think what will happen then is they'll be hugely rewarded. Like there's a huge opportunity in that. They'll see their profitability grow. They'll see, you know, brand sentiment increase and they'll get that loyalty from consumers. So while it might be a little bit scary, the rewards will be huge at the end of it. And I think that's really key for brands to, to kind of go away and understand like what are our core values and how do we deliver that to our consumers in a, in a really demonstrable way that we're not just coming out with a big statement we're actually backing it up with action um, so I think that will be really key as they, they emerge from COVID 
Yeah, totally agree with all that. Uh, Barry, you, you mentioned it, you, you talked a second, look, it makes total sense. I mean, I think one of the problems in terms of experiential is that it, the physicality of it means that you, you spend a lot of money and it's it's only experienced by a few people. And one of the big opportunities of a blended approach, if you will, is that you can kind of do both. Um, you know, you can, so people don't want to go, and you can, you can, I heard an example the other day about, I can't remember who it was now. So there's, you know, some companies involved in a, in Germany in a race, a racing event, a car racing event, and they, they invite some people, high value customers to go to the event, but they've kind of given VR experience to other people. So I love this idea of a blended approach. And you mentioned a couple there you did for uh, AIB and Diageo. Is there any other ones in terms of just a get, because I always find when we're talking about these uh, these things um, conceptually, uh, it's great if you give some examples. Any other things that you've done for brands, kind of smaller events where they, they would have been quite small experiential events that you just kind of opened up? Any other examples you can give me? Yeah, we've done events for, um, for uh, some of our tech clients where uh, it's been entirely avatar-based where the user is actually within a virtual world and they're controlling it and moving around the space and interacting with people where, when they get close to them. Um, because what we found over, this has gone on so long, that virtual events, um, if there was suddenly a big rush and everyone was doing them, there is a bit of virtual event fatigue and people mm. are like, oh, I don't want to get on and do another one and, and see another thing. So... We've been trying to evolve our offering. Like anything, if people get bored of it, it's going to die away. So um, trying to bring a new experience and things like gamification and, and AR and VR that uh, Aideen has referenced brings that new slant to it and a new visual look to it. While the the whole structure of the event may be the same, the visual aspect is different. So people just are, their minds are tricked into, wow, this is different. I haven't seen this before. This looks cool. So there's a number of different ways um, you can do it. Like AR is a, is a really nice way to do it for a, if we're using a physical studio and bringing in a product um, in a design in um, lifelike 3D and brought in and brought up out of the stage and it's interactive and whether it's a, a bottle of Coke or it's a it's a car that's coming out and you can interact with it in a way that you can't do in the real world. People enjoy seeing that. So there's, there's a number of different ways we've done it um, for tech clients. And then there's also other brands who have done the physical, sending out a physical item like a VR headset. Um, VR headsets are expensive and that's kind of the barrier at the moment to them. Mm. Um, but there has been some brands who have sent out like a thousand headsets to press and done a, uh, like a phone launch and they're, they're plugged in and they're getting an experience all at the exact same time, which is really slick and really cool, but it's big budget. So the brand really has to want to do it. And there's not many of them that'll do that, but um, I think as the price band for that stuff comes down, it'll it'll become um, more ubiquitous. Yeah, no, you're, and you're right. I think companies will spend quite a lot of money on on physical launches, just even location and setting, and you know, you know, premises and dressing of premises, and to try and and to, to kind of rethink how that budget is spent in terms of creating something that's really slick, stand out, virtues is quite a smart thing to do. Um, think about your business for a minute. So. Rightly or wrongly, maybe you're always in a kind of a tech or or virtual space. I always had you guys positioned as, you know, physical experiences as a company. That's the way I would my go to place. So that is pretty. Um, I think we were chatting off Mike, and you're saying you're kind of thinking, are we going to have a business at the end of all this? Um, and I think I remember I, I don't know which one I was at. I was at some. Uh, it was like a, a virtual presentation. It was really slick looking. I was going, that looks really good. And then I kind of I think you guys are involved. It was done green screen with kind of pretty slick background. So. How quickly did you, sorry, take me back to that time. Did you, were you kind of concerned that we ain't going to have a business here and how quickly did you change your offering? Because I guess, did you have to go out and kind of 
proactively hustle for business and say, right, we're, we're in experiences now, we're in virtual experiences. What did you do? How did you, and how are you still in business at the moment? How? Yeah, it's a good question. And yeah, I'll be brutally honest. Um, by the end of April, there was nothing going on and all of our events had just dropped off a cliff, like, as I said, other industries. And so we, we knew the writing was on the wall if we were going to let it be written. Uh, so we had to reinvent ourselves. And and we're a big agency as well. So we have a lot of people and we needed to we needed to adapt quickly. Uh, we have a brilliant team of people who are like creative producers, but at the heart of it, they're, they're grafters. And everyone realized, right, how are we going to get? We need to get down and dirty and figure out what offering are we going to bring to our clients to generate business? Because at the time, all of our brands and clients were like, no, we, we're not doing anything because we don't know what's going on and um, come back to us in a few weeks or months. And for us, that few weeks or months, like we need to generate business. So we literally spent three months upskilling and learning how to use platforms. We researched every virtual event platform that was in existence at the time. We went, I think we looked at 50 of them and we whittled them down to like three or four that were any use. Um, then we were looking into creating our own one. Um, and then we're looking at how do you bring the experience that we would have historically done at amazing uh, parties for thousands of people or brand launches. How do you bring that into a virtual setting? And we started to do it from June, the start of June, we started to start produce events and sell ourselves in and show clients what is possible. And it all started from that first event, the second event, you then had case studies to show clients, go, look, this is what you can do. So people are like, okay, now I get it. Because a lot of time people didn't get it. They were like, what is this? And it just started to snowball from there. And thankfully, we've a great roll call of clients, but then also other clients we've never worked with before reached out to say, oh, I saw that gig you did. How did you do that? Can you do something for us? And it's just, it's just increased exponentially since then. Yeah, I have to say, um, well done because you could have you could have given up essentially or or you know furloughed everybody and said you know we'll open up when demand picks up again so like you mentioned um exploring some of the, the different options that were out there or actually you know developing your own and you had to upscale but like did did you ha- actually have to invest in not just time did you have to invest in the business in terms of buying technology and platforms that you didn't have before and how much investment did you put into that we had to we had to invest in we were building green screen studios when and it was kind of a like a roll the dice moment we were building stuff when we had no revenue and was coming in and so we were investing in green screen studios in, in lighting in audio visual technology and we as that started to progress we were investing in our team in terms of coding and how to build websites like over the last year and a half we must have built 250 to 300 websites of all different functionality and interactivity and uh, ways of communicating with with, um, our clients and then we invested in our contractors as well and our 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 partner suppliers who we work with day in day out because they were in the same position as us all the work we gave them suddenly dried up so we were working with them to write we need to do this this is what we need to do and 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 then we also had we did have some physical events and um, physical bills happening in the same time, like Diageo were probably the leader in the pandemic in terms of everyone else switched off and Diageo saw their, their customer base um, closed down and they thought, how are we going to support them? And the raise the bar program they had where they invested heavily in, in hundreds of pubs around the country was keeping 
their pubs going, but also for us, we had teams being able to go out and build these things when um, the pubs weren't open. And um, so there was a whole a multifaceted approach we were going through. But it, there was moments where we were investing money we, at the time, needed to hold on to. I think, just sorry to put it, I think what's interesting as well about that was in the early days of the virtual events, kind of like what you referenced earlier, Dave, like brands and clients just thought like, it's just a Teams call, it's just a Zoom call. So the budgets were like really tiny to begin with. And actually the tech that went into producing these is nearly on par with with a physical event. So for a long time, it was trying to you know, trying to find that fine line between um, this is the only budget and we really want to do the event and we want to make it as slick as possible. But it was hard for clients sometimes to understand, like, where's all that money going? It's just people logging on. And and that has definitely changed as well over time. Like, they understand now, as we all do, kind of what goes into a virtual event and actually how slick and interactive you can make it. So you kind of, you definitely see now the budgets have increased almost on par with when we would have done physical and kind of live experiential pieces yeah and that's brilliant that's it's really good and you know you know we've worked our clients we share lots of clients and you guys have always been brilliant that had kind of the experiential type of thing and so it's great to see that you've kind of reimagined your business and i think you'll come out of it you definitely will come out of it stronger um you'll be fitter um, and faster than and more agile and, and in better shape going forward Aiden, just sticking with you for a minute um we're kind of in this, you know, we're open. It was quite, we've been slow in terms of experience, in terms of like hospitality for quite late to open things, rightly or wrongly. And we're kind of in it, you know, it's looking as we as we come down the home stretch leading into Christmas, I'm not so sure that we're going to be, no one knows how how social we, we'll be in terms of, you know, the nervousness around it or even the, the potentially government restrictions around things. So that must be quite difficult in terms of your business when you think about clients you know, do they plan an event? I guess they wanted to do events and they want to actually get back in into the physical events, but they're probably nervous. Um, when you think about when you're working with clients, how difficult does that make it your job in terms of, um, first of all, is, is there much demand for clients to get, get back and do things? Are they nervous? Are they kind of wanting to do them? And actually, how complicated is it now? So I guess in the old days when you're doing events, it's relatively simple. Now, has it made it more difficult, even if you want to be compliant with kind of government advice and, and you know, COVID certs and, and social distancing? How complicated are events now? Are they are they more trouble than they're worth or are they, are they still worth doing now? Look, I suppose... What really highlighted the importance of experiential for us and with our clients was when there was the opportunity to kind of get back out and 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 the country did, you know, reopen. And um, like we saw that business kind of come in thick and fast and they were really keen and it was like, go. And it was, you know, we were gangbusters and we had, um, you know, experiential was kind of back and we were back out and we were dealing with people. Obviously, given what's going on in the current landscape, we're a little bit in limbo land at the moment that makes it a little bit difficult just in terms of obviously trying to plan you know these different events but in terms of when they actually happen and following guidelines look of course it adds another layer um but i suppose we we know that now when we're going into them so we kind of have all that lined up so obviously we would use a huge amount of brand ambassadors they're all going through antigen testing you know it's hand sanitization stations it's you know checking temperatures on arrival and 
all of that has kind of just become second nature in a in a sad way nearly but we're it's it's something that we just build into the plan now from from the offset so of course it adds a little bit of of, of extra work but it doesn't really hugely impact um i suppose the the planning of the event it's just something that we we know we have to do so it mm. just gets done um but i think yeah just in terms of going forward and leading in, into christmas um like brands are definitely you know they're really keen to be out there and to be to be talking to their consumers and 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 be on the ground with them and it's just making sure that we're doing that in a really safe way and and government compliance and which is what we do so it's a uh, it, yeah, it's just kind of become second nature to us now. Yeah, that's great. Um, Barry, one question. Do you, you know, dealing, talking to clients day in, day in, day out, and, you know, they have to plan these things quite a bit in advance. What's your sense in terms of the, the mood or the appetite with clients in terms of going forward? How eager are they to get back into kind of physical things? Do, do you find there's a bit of a nervousness around them or are they ready to go? Or, are, you know, and again, it's kind of like I was asking Aideen there, like, are they kind of paralyzed in terms of future planning? What's the sentiment like? To sentiment, to be honest, I think everyone wants to get back to in-person. The reason the reason we're not is because any generally medium to large organization can't risk doing it. But if that risk was removed from them, they would all be in a room together and actually want to get back together because there's a huge issue with remote working and um, hybrid working that because people have been onboarded, people aren't seeing people face to face, that the... I suppose the emotional connection of going to an event and then afterwards having a drink or a bite to eat means a huge amount. So there's a there's a mental health issue, there's a morale issue, there's a, a team bonding issue where people just are working from home and, and missing that. So they, they're missing the connection to the company that they may have previously loved, where now they're just, I'm in my home and, and my job is my job and that's all, it's, it's no more than that. So is it, there's a big appetite to get back to in-person and we were starting to see that from September onwards where Lots of clients were like, what do you think? Can we get back in a room? And Because mm. we want to have a big party to brand event and we want to have a, an event around it and we want people there. So um, right now, obviously, cases are uh, increasing and everyone has to be conscious of that and, and no one wants to be foolish. But I think as soon as things calm down a bit and there's the government advice is allowing it, there's going to be, the dem- like we were starting to see it, but we anticipate like a a, a crazy demand for in-person events mm. and there's obviously a labor shortage across the hospitality industry but also the events industry as well because one of the things about virtual events is it's having a it's having an effect on the events market in ireland because irish agencies and technicians and uh, people working in the events industry are now working on events across the world so like the, there's a global industry sucking our brain power so we, like there's a potential that we can't service irish events because people are working like we're doing events for west coast clients in the middle of the night we're doing events for in singapore and uh, virtual events so there's uh, there's going to be a there's going to be a pinch point when that comes up mm. that is there actually the capability to service all these events yeah, it's not a bad problem to have, you know, when you come out of it. And 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 you would never have had that opportunity had we not have, um, you know, been in the situation we're in. Um, you mentioned earlier on about, you know, teams fatigue, and and I get it myself. Um, and when you're doing virtual events, this you kind of have to move things on, or or kind of, you know, make it a bit more exciting, or or try and do some new stuff. Is there anything without? 
betraying any kind of confidentiality. Um, is there anything, like, how do you shake it up again? Like, we go into next year. Is there anything in the pipeline? I guess you guys are thinking about this all the time. So is there anything um, to watch this space and say there's a couple of exciting things happening next year? Anything you can share with me? In terms of exciting thing, it's it's how the event is produced because how it all comes together to these specific tools, but it's how you piece them together. It's what makes the experience different. A lot of it is down to um, the pre-event experience and the, the the design of the event and potentially the functionality of the portal that you're going through or the registration. But then the event itself and a lot of the really exciting and impressive ones are back to that kind of broadcast experience where you're almost like you're watching a television show and there's different sets and there's different experiences and there's different things going on that are that's like either entertaining or informing you or both for an hour or two hours and it's the investment that goes into the the other side of the camera that makes it a really good event and uh, and some clients have really got that and are willing to invest serious amounts to do really impressive events we did we did an event in december 2020 which is a, a large event for um, a tech client, and it was a global holiday party. And we created this two-hour theatrical experience in the RDS, in an empty warehouse, in the Simmons Court, with no one there. We are freezing cold, but we built this massive set, curved screen. We built a, a ship, a scale model ship. We had actors. We had we had a, basically a theatre show happening, and this had been broadcast around the world to 5,000 people. And... Uh, and that's what made that experience completely different because they were used to like the conference side of things or the the normal. Uh, there's obviously workshops going on. Everyone's done the cocktail making, the pizza making stuff. That's all grand. People are, to be honest, sick to death. Better put it. Yeah, yeah. But so they want something completely different. So that's that's what we have been doing, and that's how we are working into the future as well. How do we create that that TV show style experience? Yeah, and I, and I guess like it's all about. You know, you, you can't um, replicate the experience of of being somewhere in person. But like, I know when we think about, and I see this one now. Like, we, we, there's a lot of talk about the me, the metaverse and and Facebook talking about this. I know it's a big bet. Like, when I think about it. I've seen some of these. You know, Facebook Mark Zuckerberg has gone on has, has been really you know trying to push this. And one hand, it just sounds utterly depressing. It's like this kind of caricature. It sort of feels really childish to me. And I know it's it's kind of in its early days, but there is no doubt that, you know, technology and and kind of immersive worlds or a metaverse, whatever you want to call it, is, it it's definitely the way forward, whether you like it or not. I know yeah, it's a long time ago that Facebook bought um, Oculus and, and you know, they, they have been beating this drum for a while. What's your view on this? Open question. Um, whoever wants to jump in can take it. What's your view on this? Do you think... Okay, it might look a little bit childish at the moment with avatars and quite kind of. I find the whole thing sad and depressing. To be honest with you, it just it just really depresses me. But like this is definitely it's probably because I'm just too old for it. To be honest with you, but how big is this hype? Is it is it, do you think it's it's going to be? You know, when we think about a blended future, as that is the best way to kind of closely replicate you know the experience of being in the same room with somebody to to do a virtual and create that and you know you got to have headsets and and VR technology but is it all nonsense or do you think it's a big bet going forward no i was only discussing this on our own podcast a few months ago and i think i think me and you dave certainly are i think we are too old to appreciate it enough um and i the, the whole thing about VR headsets i was talking about they've been around for like almost two decades and in various forms and they haven't really taken off yet but i think they will take it off and i was trying to equate it to something else that took ages to get going properly and that was probably i think video calls if you think about video calls i remember being involved in a, a phone launch for o2 like geez it must be 
15, 16 years ago. And maybe not that long now, but it was, it might have been a bit less, but there was the video call was out and the quality was shite. Yeah. And uh, people had it on. And uh, like that took ages to really get on. Video calls took, I'd say, about nearly 10 years to get going properly. Mm. And I would equate it to this and the whole VR element. Like, I'm inter- like I've, I've kind of just researched it a tiny bit and things like Decentraland, this um, VR world that people are in, but has like a cryptocurrency and people can buy fit. Like you can order it. You can be in this world and order a, a pizza and the pizza will get delivered to your house and you're paying in cryptocurrency. And I think all, all of these things together are going to, it's going to blow up. But I think for, like much younger people than us, it's gonna it's gonna grow with the demographic. Mm. We're we're just thinking that ah, looks it looks stupid. Uh, I don't get it. But I think in in ten years time, maybe it's gonna be much more prevalent around uh, around the world. Yeah, and I guess five G and technology is gonna you know speed up and cost technology is gonna reduce the the kind of entry cost. Aideen, what what are your view on on metaverse? Is it, like is it is it just me and Barrier too? Oh, we just don't get it. Is that what it is? Say that, Dave. I was just going to say, I'm going to pretend I'm much younger than both of you um, and say that I actually think it's brilliant. Um, no, look, I think um, I think it, like there's no getting away from it. And I think it's, it is the way forward. Um, and I think it's probably something that, as Barry kind of said, people are just going to grow up with it and it's not going to be as alien as it kind of is to, to us. Um, like, do I do I fully agree with it? And I'm super excited to see it. Like, probably not. But then at the same time, I think that's how you always kind of have those reservations around these new things that are kind of coming down the line. So, you know, it will add new layers and new dimensions to things that we currently do. But I suppose I'm always of the, the mindset that it can never replace the real thing. And I think actually that's something that COVID has thrown up to is that we all need that human interaction Mm -hmm. that is a human basic trait in all of us so it will never replace you know the the real thing but it's certainly something that over the next few years um, I I think we'll, we'll be building into more of our events and our experiential pieces. Great. Yeah. Yeah. As I say, it's probably a bit, it's a depressing future. It looks like we're all going to be, and that looks like it's going to be future. No social contact, uh, only only virtual. Barry, quick, before we go, we're nearly out of time. Uh, if anyone's listening, um, is there anywhere where people can go and have a little nosy around, have a look at what you've done, where, where can they find you? Or if anyone's just going, do you know what? I, I, I need to give these guys a call. How do people get in touch with you? If they go onto our, our website, the first protocol, so verve.ie, and they can check out our virtual events case studies. And we also have a, a virtual events podcast, um, which has transitioned into a, a new pro- a podcast as well, which where we talk about the type of work we're doing and what's coming up. And people might find that beneficial to listen to. So, yeah, head to verve.ie. Okay, great. Um, we are out of time. So thanks so much for joining me today, Barry. Great. Thank you very much. And thanks, Aideen. Thanks for joining me, Aideen. Pleasure. Great. And and check out the article. It's a great article. So, um, yeah. OK, well, I wish you the best. And I say I can't congratulate you enough because I think it, it's really hard for, you know, most industries were hit hard. Even our business was hit hard. But like things, life went on. You guys had to completely reimagine things. So best of luck. And uh, yeah, you've done a brilliant job. So I wish you um, further success going forward. And it's great you're busy now. You know, the world, the world is, is not enough now in terms of the stuff you're working on. So well done, guys. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. Cheers. Okay, that is it. That's all she wrote. We are out of time. So if you like this episode, listen back. Um, you can find other episodes by typing Inside Marketing Irish Times into your search engine of choice. Thanks to Andrea and Kira on Sound. And thanks to our partners in Irish Times Media. Solutions. Until next time, stay safe. 
Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.